I'm glad to be sharing the word with you guys. Um, another year, Rob had gave me the invitation last year. It was cool, so I thought I'd come back. Um, I see some familiar faces. Some of you got a little taller. Some of you got a little shorter. That's <laughs> kind of weird. Um, but before we get into God's word, um, let's pray. Father, I, I love you. Um, you're very kind, patient, and just awesome. I try to find a vocabulary to describe you, um, your heart, your goodness, and I'm at a loss of words, but I do love you. And um, sometimes I know I think I'm your right-hand man, but I'm just another pot. So right now, use my efforts um, to pour into the believers that's here, your children, those who claim the name of your son. Use your Holy Spirit to bless them with your word and not my communication skills per se. Just use my efforts to bless them, um, to do the things that you desire, to raise them in the faith. Um, and for those of them who haven't met yet made that decision for Jesus, um, continue to draw them in. Um, thank you for letting them be in this community um, and just seeing your glory through the good works that's been shown in Serve Sheboygan. Um, but right now, just uh, allow your word to be breathed in the hearts of the listeners. And hopefully faith comes out as an outcome. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at the letter of 1 Corinthians and trying to get a handle on the surprising generosity of God. We're going to see what Paul can teach this youth group about the value of being thankful and how our collective thankfulness to God can impact our fellowship. And the particular verse we'll be unpacking is found in chapter 4, verse 7. But before we get there, let's look at some contextual details of the letter and the argument that Paul is putting forth. Okay, so Paul was a missionary, as you know, and on his second missionary journey, he traveled to the city of Corinth and he planted a church there. And he spent about two years preaching the word of God and drawing people to Jesus. So essentially, he was the lead pastor of this church. And this was like his flock. So Paul had an emotional attachment to these believers and he was heavily invested in their development. And after he left Corinth, after he left the Corinthian church, they started to slip away from Paul's influence, meaning they were doing things that was out of step with the gospel. And in chapter one, it says that Chloe's people reported this to Paul. Now, we don't know who Chloe is. The letter doesn't tell us. Apparently, she had a relationship with Paul and she sent him a bad report of the Corinthian church. It'd be like Olivia reaching out to me and saying, bro, Danielle just ate up all the M&Ms. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, which ones? The chocolate or the peanut? And she say, the peanut, bro. I'm like, what? I'm not going for none of that. I'm about to text her right now. That's kind of the situation that we have right here. <laughs> and when we look at the Corinthian letter, we see some of the issues they were dealing with were arrogance, inconsideration to other believers, misunderstanding of the resurrection, complexities in marriage, and sexual sin. So Paul had his hands pretty much full. 
And in chapter one, Paul dives right in and addresses the issue of division. So a problem was happening where members of the church were aligning themselves to different apostles. And some of them were saying, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And they were attaching to their chosen apostle to gain social points in the community. And it seems very political in nature, like members of today's church saying, I'm with the Democrats and others saying, well, I'm with the Republicans. And the consequence for the Corinthian politics is that if they're choosing one apostle as their representative, then they're necessarily dismissing the next. And the result is that the fellowship gets divided because each member has its own representative for its political position. And this brings in the question, how were they choosing their representative? What was the criteria they were using? Well, they were basing their choice of apostle on human wisdom. Basically, which apostle had the better appearance and the best speaking abilities? And in the city of Corinth, these qualities were highly valued in the outside culture. And members of the church were probably thinking, hey, if I can connect myself with the apostle that has these qualities, then I can enhance my honor and my reputation in the community. And this is why Paul begins his attack on human wisdom in chapters one and two. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And the criteria for human wisdom was based on appearances, based on intelligence and strength and power. And this was in contrast to the message of the cross, which was about a poor Jewish man who was crucified in weakness and a clear lack of strength. Yet it was through this weakness that the power of God was revealed. And if you receive this message, then you didn't receive it through human wisdom, but rather through faith in Jesus who died for your sin so you can be forgiven. And Paul says in chapter two that he didn't communicate this message through fancy articulation, but through the means of the Holy Spirit. So no one should base their understanding of the gospel on human wisdom, but on the spirit of God freely given to believers. And in chapter three, Paul continues to address the issue of division by focusing on how the Corinthians are using human standards to choose their apostle. And Paul writes that God considers this as foolishness because he gave them the apostles for the benefit of the community and not the enhancement of their egos. And that brings us to our specific verse in chapter four, verse seven. Paul is going to ask three questions that addresses the prideful mindset of the Corinthians so that this mindset won't hinder their fellowship. And these questions are rhetorical in nature, meaning Paul already knows the answers to what he's asking. So his aim is to get the Corinthians to change their perspective because they have the wrong view of things. And we're going to categorize each question so we can keep track of Paul's message. And the category for the first question is poor assumptions. Paul asks, for what makes you different? And that word for connects back to verse six, giving an explanation of Paul's previous statements. In verse six, Paul was concerned with the Corinthians choosing one apostle over the other, specifically Apollos over Paul. And it appears that some of the Corinthians were attaching themselves to Apollos and were starting to get high minded over their chosen representative. And from the perspective of human wisdom, it makes a lot of sense why they would choose Apollos instead of Paul. Apollos was a Jewish Christian who was educated in Alexandria. And this was a city in Egypt, which was the center for learning in the ancient world. So Apollos had high academic knowledge and advanced skills in communication. 
And the book of Acts tells us that Apollos arrived in Corinth after Paul had planted the church and left. So Apollos was able to demonstrate his high education in front of other believers. And around this time, there were famous public speakers who would go from city to city displaying their deep knowledge and communication skills. And if you were associated with one of these speakers, then that would enhance your honor and your reputation in the community. And we can see how these cultural values were influencing the Corinthian church because they were using the same tactics to enhance their own social status. On the one hand, Apollos was intelligent and had an interesting way with words. But on the other hand, Paul, he was smart, but he wasn't good at public speaking. And his appearance, it, it just wasn't that attractive. So those who chose Apollos as their representative looked down on those who chose Paul. And that caused a division. And that's why Paul asked the question, for what makes you different? You're using a cultural standard to judge God's leaders just so you can get some cool points and feel good about yourself. And I sometimes fall into this trap when I judge my co-laborers, those believers who I serve with in ministry. Sometimes I judge them because they're not doing things the way that I would do it or they're not prioritizing discipleship the way that I do. And I sometimes look down on my senior pastor because he's not measuring up to my standard. And I somehow think that I'm better, that I'm different. And when I'm thinking this way, this type of mindset, it never brings us together in unity. It just creates a bigger divide. And this was the prideful mindset of the Corinthians. They assumed that they were different, that their chosen apostle was the pathway to honor. And instead of being thankful to the Lord for whatever wisdom they received, they used it to make false distinctions as if they were something special, which is why Paul asked the second question. And this is under the category of ungratefulness. Paul asks, and what do you have that you did not receive? And this question literally approaches the Corinthians to their faces. Seriously, what good thing do you have that God did not give you first? And Paul asked this question to humble the Corinthians because they were starting to increase in pride, which meant they were also decreasing in gratitude. They didn't realize that Paul and the apostles were a gift from God, which was something to be thankful for and not something to be taken advantage of. And they should have been shocked by God's generosity that he would even send them a missionary to adopt them into this family. And from that perspective, the least they could have said was thank you. <laughs> and even Paul understood this basic principle. When he opened his letter in chapter one, he said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul did a lot to build up the Corinthian church, but he didn't lose sight of the God who enables the building. Even in chapter three, Paul says he laid a good foundation in Corinth for other believers to build on. Yet he says, according to the grace of God given to me. And when he speaks about the missionary work he did that followed, that was followed by Apollos, he doesn't put the focus on himself. Instead, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. And Paul, he was pretty much a talented believer. He really knew how to get things moving in ministry, but he didn't see his talents as something to be prideful over, something to boost his own status. Instead, he was thankful to God for giving him the gifts in the first place and that he would even be included in his mission. And that brings to mind some questions for you students who claim the name of Christ. 
some questions that you probably should be asking yourselves. And I'll lay them out for you. First, are you thankful for your talents? Are you thankful that God would even include you and serve Sheboygan? Are you thankful that you have the strength to lift heavy objects? The desire to serve others? The opportunity to be a light? The miracle of your conversion? Are you thankful? When we, when we neglect to thank God for his grace, we necessarily begin to give that credit to ourselves. And the result is that we gradually become blind to the truth. And that truth, as one commentator says, is that, quote, in the presence of the eternal God, one recognizes that everything, absolutely everything that one has is a gift. And in case the Corinthians missed that point in the second question, the third one drives it home even further. And we'll put this last one under the category of blind spots. Paul asks, and if for certain you did receive it, why do you brag as if you did not receive it? Now, remember, the Corinthians live in a culture where public speakers are the popular figures of the day. And if you attach yourself to this speaker, then that could enhance your honor and reputation in the community. And that would give you something to brag about. And Paul sees that the Jesus following Corinthians have adopted the same values as the unbelieving culture. And now they're bragging about their chosen representative as if anything they received was self-produced and not a free gift from God. And they're showing us how blind believers can be when we lack a clear understanding of God's grace to his people. Now, me and Rob, that's my boy. We got a little bromance going. So we'd be late night caking sometimes. He called me just on the phone all night, just talking. Like, what's up, boo? That's what we'd be on. <laughs> But sometimes in our conversations, we get a little prideful. Um, me and Rob, we, we value um, self-control, integrity, personal holiness, right? We take this stuff very serious. Um, but sometimes when we see other believers that are struggling with the things that we're not struggling with, we sometimes judge them. We look down on them um, as if, like, they should be able to have the same strength that we have. Um, and we brag a little bit. And I think... Some of that bragging comes from the cultures that we grew up in, where you just had to be cocky. You had to be bold. You had to brag. You had to look down on other people, though. And those values from that culture we brought with us into the church, looking down on others. And that's not cool. But lately, during our conversations, there's been like a turning point because me and him have been growing in our understanding of God's grace. And we realized that we don't have a lot of strength in ourselves. It's something that the Lord has given us based on his grace, pure grace, unhelped grace. And he's choosing to use us as an example to other believers that may be weaker in areas that we have strength in. So now when we minister to other believers, we're starting to have way more compassion. We're not looking down on them. We're not judging them. We're seeing them as equals. And how can we assist them in their walk with Jesus? And that's been going pretty well. And we were kind of blind to the fact that the grace of God was in our life, but now it's kind of evident. And we've been repenting like gradually in our hearts of all of that bragging and our conversations are getting better. And that's why I really love like Robert so much because we both pursue the same goal and that's humility. 
And I think God is pleased with our pursuit of humility and trying to get away from pride because that's really hard for us. And what I've been learning is that one of the best cures for pride is thankfulness. Just being thankful to the Lord and acknowledging his presence in my life rather than taking credit for it as if I'm the one who's sustaining everything. Students, that is absolute foolishness. This is God's world and everything in it. So if I receive anything, then it's a free gift from God. And Psalm 24 reflects this same train of thought when it says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. Recognizing this truth is a major game changer, because if this is God's world, then everything we receive is a gift. I mean, I want you to think about that. Even the small things we take for granted, those are all gifts from God. Seriously, right now, you're breathing his air. You're sitting in his seats. You just ate his food. You live in his house. You sleep in his clothes. You're wearing his socks. You're worshiping in his youth room. You're gathered in his building. You're listening to his servant. Students, what do you have that you did not receive? And in light of the prideful mindset of the Corinthians, we need to be aware of not following the outside culture with their hard work pays off and everything that I have is a result of my own efforts. Or I just bought a new fill in the blank and you guys still have the old models. Self-promotion and competition are the key values of the outside culture. And when we adopt the values of the culture, then we create division in the fellowship because now we're judging each other based on human standards, based on a worldly criteria. Oh, so-and-so doesn't listen to this type of music, so they can't be in our circle. Or so-and-so keeps wearing clothes that's out of fashion, so we can't be seen in their company. And low-key though, that's really messed up if you think that way. But that's the culture, that's their values. And when we allow the culture to dictate our values, then our values become attached to the culture. And that's problematic because we've been called to be set apart from the culture. So if you wanna have unity within your youth group and unity within the local congregation, as you guys grow older as followers of Jesus, then it's helpful to begin a practice of thankfulness. Because if I'm thankful for the gifts that God has given me, then I can't use these gifts as a means of looking down on you. Those gifts were given to me from God for the benefit of the community and not the enhancement of my ego. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, you got us do another lesson um, and serve Sheboygan. Um, I'm just praying that this message is pleasing to you and that you use your spirit to really just plant it deep in the hearts of these students. Um, help them have a good small group time, um, discussing things that's really, really important and that you just continue just being present in their lives and present in this ministry. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One last thing. Um, I'm a Bible teacher and I've been trained to teach believers, Bible believing Christians. So at the end of the day, my hope is that everybody has made the decision for the Lord and they are true believers. But I don't know that. 
So at the end of the day, I can't call you to do anything that the Lord hasn't called you to first. So you need to make the decision for Christ. You can be here serving with Serve Sheboygan. You can be in the community. But until you give your life to Christ, you will not be a part of the family. And that's really important. So take that to heart. You can come and serve. You can have fun. But the choice for Christ is the most important choice you will ever make. And I know Jesus. He's a good guy. He loves us. But if you reject him, he will reject you. So do what you got to do.